Hi, this is Pastor Dave Rosales, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. If you've been impacted by these Bible studies, we'd like to hear from you. Whether you're listening through iTunes, Google Play, or any other platform, tap on the stars and leave us a review. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. If you'd like to support this ministry, would you consider partnering with us? Visit our website at calvaryccv.org and click on Give. You can leave us a one-time gift or set up a recurring general donation. Thank you for your support. And now let's begin today's message. So the subject we're looking at is marriage. You can see that today, right? We have this set up here. And we'll be looking at verses 18 through 25 in Genesis chapter 2 this morning. It's already been mentioned that tonight we're going to be celebrating baptism. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, the service begins at 5 o'clock. We'll be in the chapel. And I'm going to give a Bible study. And then immediately after the study, we'll be going outside. And uh, I'll be drowning people. If you have yet to be water baptized and are prepared and desire that, I encourage you to be with us. We normally see at least 200 people baptized. It's always a blessing, a great service. And uh, I'd invite you to be with us tonight if you can be with us. I have a friend of mine, Dennis Agajanian. He's come many times. And he loves to come here and serve. And so we asked him to come. He always brings a lot of energy to our service. And so uh, I'd invite you, even if you've been water baptized, I invite you to be with us tonight to come to the service and celebrate with, with those who are following the Lord in uh, Christian baptism. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got this cough that I can't shake. Uh, we have on Wednesday, Wednesday night, we have our, uh, our evening service, so I invite you to be with us Wednesday. We're in uh, chapter 5 of the Gospel of John. We'll be looking at the first 15 verses or so this upcoming Wednesday night. It's a story about a man who was at a pool in uh, Jerusalem called Bethesda and uh, a healing that takes place there. And so I invite you to be with us on Wednesday night as, uh, as we go through that passage. And then finally, we, we had prayed for our, uh, our Philippines, our high school Philippine trip and the, the kids returned safely yesterday. So praise the Lord for bringing them home safely and for them to have a, a great time in the Lord serving in the Philippines. And so now here we are, Genesis chapter 2. I'll begin reading at verse 18, read to verse 25. And we're looking at Christian marriage. So beginning here in Genesis 2:18, Moses writes, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. And then Moses adds, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. We've been going through the study of the book of Colossians. And in our study of the book of Colossians, we have come to a portion in that book where Paul begins to speak concerning family. In uh, chapter 3 of Colossians, verses 18 through 21, 
Paul speaks of wives, husbands, and children. In verse 18, he speaks to the wives. In verse 19, he speaks to the husbands. And in verses 20 and 21, he speaks to children and their fathers. So obviously, in the context of Christian relationship, marriage precedes raising children. And prior to a woman being a mother, she is first a wife. That's the biblical order of family. A man and a woman meet, they grow to love one another, they marry, and they have children. This at one time was considered the normal sequence of events. Even songs that were listened to on the radio presented this as the proper order. I, I can still remember when I was a teenager, there was a, a group, uh, an incredibly well-known group, none of you will remember, Wayne Fontana and the Mind Benders. I wonder how many have even heard of that. I see a couple gray hairs out there. Some of you so old you forgot. <laughs> Wayne Fontana and the Mind Benders. And they had a song called The Game of Love. And I still remember that. There were so many songs like that. You know, the purpose of a man is to love a woman and the purpose of a woman is to love a man. I mean, that was in our culture. That was just normal. That's the way we thought. That's how my generation and generations prior to mine, that's how we thought. It was so part of our culture, we even had songs that we children would sing on the playground. And it was always uh, to tease another kid, but we'd say, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes someone with a baby carriage. And we'd point out whoever it was, and they'd get all worked up over it. But at least we had it in order, love, marriage, children. That was part of our society. It was songs on playgrounds, songs on the radio. It was common culture. We, we all knew that, that if you're gonna have kids, you get married. You don't live together. We knew that, it was part of our culture. But in our day, marriage as an institution throughout the world has been redefined. And many have come to reject the once accepted concept of what was called a traditional family. And, and they'll say it. They consider such an arrangement to be outdated. It's, it's unreasonable. It's unworkable. But at one time, there was a definition of a traditional family that was accepted by the majority. A family consisted of a man and woman who were married to one another and who often had children born to them. It consisted of a breadwinning father and a wife who became a mother who cared for the home and the children born to her and her husband after marriage. That was the once accepted traditional marriage. That was the definition. Well, this once accepted definition of marriage and family has changed. For many, to be a family doesn't require marriage. For many, to be a family requires people caring about one another and living under the same roof. To be a family doesn't require marriage. A family exists because they say they are a family. And many people find it preferable to live together without ceremony or contract. Sadly, this is also found to be true amongst some who profess to be Christians. Without fully realizing it, they are in fact sinning against the Lord. In the Old Testament book of Malachi, in chapter 2, verse 11, Malachi 2:11 speaks of marriage as God's holy institution. So this reveals that marriage is God's idea and design and is regarded as holy. In the same book of Malachi, in chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, those verses speak of marriage as a covenant, not simply a legal contract. It also gives us the insight that God intended marriage to produce godly offspring. You see, faith in God and service to him was to be passed on throughout the generations. The New Testament reveals marriage to be a picture of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. Paul, when he was writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, said it like this. He said to the church, I'm jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. For I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. And Paul says a man is to leave his father and mother, to cleave to his wife, 
And he says, and they become one flesh. And after writing that, he went on to clarify what that means in Ephesians 5.32. He said, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So marriage is a picture of union with Jesus Christ and is regarded in Scripture as sacred. And living together and sexual activity outside of marriage is called sin. It's called fornication. In Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6, Paul said, For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He went on to say, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Let no one deceive you with empty words. God is bringing judgment because of sins like this. And yet you have people who call themselves Christians who profess to love the Lord living together. Many of them do. And yet the Bible says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, God is bringing judgment, and yet the church ignores such things. If the person is living with someone who is still married to another person, that's called adultery. There are those who say, well, you know, I'm with them now because they're separated. There's no place in Scripture that you can find permission to even date somebody who's, who's separated because they are still married, let alone live with them. But in Hebrews 13, verse 4, the Bible says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. But living together has become a very common practice. In 2016, the Pew Research Center reported that 18 million adults were living together. Half of these cohabiting adults are under 35. And the largest group represented by cohabiting Americans is in the 25 to 34 demographic. The fastest growing age group of cohabitors in the past decade is older Americans. U.S. adults aged 50 and over now comprise 23% of all cohabiting adults in the United States. Some say living together is like a test drive. You should do that before committing. But does this test drive guarantee stability and permanence in the relationship. One study found that 40% of women living with significant others for the first time between 2006 and 2010 transitioned to marriage within three years, while 32% of those relationships remained the same and 27% were dissolved. And so today I want to share with you a little bit about marriage, marriage from a Christian perspective. And sometimes we say, well, what, how would you define that? Well, here's a simple definition. A Christian marriage is a total commitment of one man and one woman to their Savior, Jesus Christ, and to one another for a lifetime. And as Christians, we understand that marriage is sacred, and we know that it's intended to be permanent. In Mark 10, 6 through 9, from the beginning of the creation... God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then Jesus went on to say, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So Christians recognize marriage as sacred. And because we know that it's sacred, we work hard at it. It isn't easy being married, is it? For those of you who are married here, I know that if you husbands don't say anything, you'll get in trouble, but it isn't easy, is it? It really isn't. It's, it's not easy. It's something that we work at. We know that marriage brings pressure to our lives, but we also know that pressure has a way of strengthening us, and we know that the things we go through actually, when dealt with, refine us. We know that. There's nothing like living with someone to discover your own flaws, Again, you'll discover them probably every day because they'll be told to you. But as you're together, you, you discover your own flaws. You discover your own weaknesses. You also discover your own strengths and joys. It goes both ways. And you learn these things. You learn how to live with one another. You learn how to communicate to one another. You learn how to, how to share your life with somebody else. You learn how to, to speak with kindness and 
to receive criticism and to be transformed. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man count, uh, sharpens the countenance of his friend. We're sharpening one another in marriage. We, we recognize that. And we know that marriage is established by God. And we also know that marriage is intended to be God's blessing to us. You see that in Genesis. Here we are in Genesis 2.18, and notice again in verse 18, the Lord God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. It is not good that the man should be alone. Now, it's interesting how he says that. I want you to note that. It is not good that a man should be alone. Well, think about it for just a moment. There were already angels. There were already animals, but there was no one like him. In this, Adam was truly alone because there was no other human being. There was no one comparable to him. And I want you to see in this, because of this, the Lord God said, I will make him a helper. I will make him a helper. This, this verse reveals that God created the covenant of marriage. And it also reveals that man was created first, establishing the, pa the pattern of authority in the home. In 1 Corinthians 11:3, Paul said, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. The head of Christ is God. There was a pattern of authority. And that man, we men have been given the responsibility of exercising biblical authority in the home. I have a responsibility of being a covering to my wife. It's a lot easier for me to let her make decisions, but it's my responsibility to take the, to take the, the effect of the decision because my wife will make a decision or say she wants something, and I'll be honest with you, like most husbands, I want to please my wife. Why not? Why wouldn't I want to? I want to spoil her. I have no problem doing that. I like it. But I also know that in the end, the Lord is going to speak to me concerning how I how I led my home. I mean, you have, a, you have something in Scripture where, where the Lord is speaking to a man by the name of Abraham. And as the Lord is speaking to Abraham, he says to Abraham that his wife, Sarah, is going to conceive and have a child. And as the Lord is speaking, Sarah's 90 years old. And Abraham's 99. And he says, this time next year, you're going to be a father. And as the Lord is speaking to Abram about that, Sarah's in the tent listening in on the conversation. I know no women ever eavesdrop. I realize that she was unique in this, of course. But she's there listening to the conversation as God is speaking to her husband. And when he says she's going to get pregnant, well, she's 90 years old. Think about that. Don't think about that. She's 90, and she laughs within herself. Think of it. She laughs within herself. It's not even a loud laugh. It's a muffled laugh. Like, <laughs> And God says to Abram, why did your wife laugh? How would Abram even know she was laughing? But secondly, why didn't God speak to Sarah? He spoke to Abram. Abram had responsibility. He was her cover. He was the authority. And God goes directly to the authority. He speaks to the man. That's my responsibility, guys. When you learn this, it helps you to lead your home in love. When you know that God holds you accountable, you accountable. Not your wife to do the devotions. Not your wife to make sure that the kids say their prayers. Not your wife to make sure that they do their own personal reading. It's your responsibility. It's a heavy responsibility. It's a heavy thing. It really is to be responsible in that way for the home, to cover your wife, to pray for your wife, to read with your wife, to talk to your wife about the things of the Lord. That's a heavy responsibility, but it's also an outflow of your relationship to God. If you're in the word yourself, man, if you're in prayer yourself, if you're listening to Bible teachings, when you're driving to work, you put on the radio and you listen to Bible studies and all, then you've got plenty of stuff to talk to your wife about. 
But if you're never in the word, if you're never in prayer, if you never listen to studies, if you're infrequent in your fellowship, she's not going to look to you for spiritual leadership. But God does. God looks at you. For man was created first and then the woman. And the head of every woman is the man. So we have responsibility. I didn't ask for it. It's not that I even want it. And it's difficult to know how to exercise it. It isn't easy because you've got two human beings with wills of their own and histories of their own and opinions of their own. But the two became one. The two became one flesh. And we had to make a decision, Maria and I had to make a decision that the two are better than one alone. And we chose each other. We chose us. And so that means that we're going to work through whatever it is that we encounter together in life because it is better to be together than to be separate. And that's how it works. And so the man is responsible. Again, we didn't ask for it. I didn't raise my hand when God said, who wants to lead? I didn't do that. But he says, you're going to be the head. You're going to be the leader in this home. And over time, I've learned to take that very, very seriously. And so one, God created the covenant of marriage, and, and he intends man to, to lead. But also, God declares that Eve is a helper who is comparable to him. Now, the word comparable speaks of one similar to him. It literally means his reflected image. She was his counterpart. She is suitable in nature, one like himself in shape and disposition. Rabbis taught the wife is not a man's shadow so much as his other self. She is his helper in a sense which no other creature on earth can be. She was his second self, corresponding to his moral and intellectual nature. Someone said she was one who was near to him to know his ways, to be always ready to encourage and comfort him, and whose care and business it would be to please and help him. Eve knew Adam completely, and Adam could trust Eve and he could be himself completely before her. When you think about it, a wife knows, after a while, a wife grows to know pretty much everything about her husband. The secrets that he might disclose. The sorrows that he will share. We, we used to call it pillow talk at night when the lights are off and it's quiet just before you go to sleep and you're still talking. And, and, and there are times that he may have his head on the pillow and she'll say, what are you thinking about? Because they always ask, what are you thinking about? <laughs> Most of the time we're thinking about, did the Dodgers win and how come they didn't? You know, that's what we're thinking about. We're not deep, I promise you. You think we are, but we're not. But we're laying there and she'll say, what are you thinking about? And he may say, you know what, I was just remembering something. This happens with Maria and me all the time. It happens several times a week. It happens all the time. This is part of us. And I'll be laying in bed, you know, she's still asleep. She woke me up because she snores, you know, and I'll be laying there. Do you ever wake up grumpy? I used to. Now I let her sleep. But anyway, I was laying there. I'll be laying there, and I'll be thinking of something. Maybe, maybe it's an anniversary Maybe I'm remembering something about my dad. Maybe I'm remembering something about my mom. Both of them have gone to be with the Lord on, on occasion. I think of them. I might remember something dad had said to me or my mom had done. And I'll be laying there. And I'll say, you know what? I was, she'll say, honey, what are, you, what are you thinking about? And I say, and I'll tell her. I'll say, you know, I was just thinking how, and I might share some happy memory. But there have been many times when I've said, I, I was just remembering how something bothered me or something hurt me or disappointed I was. Did you ever do that? I do, and I've done it for years. I'll just say, yeah, this is what I was thinking of. This is what I was feeling. Yeah, there have been times, not a lot. You may be surprised at this, not a lot. There are times when I'll begin to share with her, and I'll begin to just tear up. 
I'll remember something that hurt, and I'll tell her. And she'll just listen to me, right? So she knows things about me. She knows my secrets, the things that I'll confide with just her. She knows my sorrows, the things that I'll speak to her that had hurt me, disappointed me, things I wish I wouldn't have done, things I wish I would have done. She knows those things because I disclose those things. She knows my regrets. And I'll tell her, I wish I wouldn't have done this. You know, if I'd had a chance to do it over again. Uh, so she knows the things I regret. I wish I would have this. I should have done that. She knows those things. She knows the failures where I've told her, I, I, I blew it. I wish that I would have. I, I, I didn't. I had an opportunity. And guys, that's what we do. We may be doing it. You may be sharing those things when you're driving someplace together, on vacation, at night before you go to sleep. But you're sharing these things. You're disclosing your heart. You're opening up the treasure of your, of your life to your wife, and you're telling her. And, and, and when I do that, I, I'm putting my trust in her. And I can safely trust in her. I can tell my wife things. And she doesn't use it as a sledgehammer later on in conversation. I disclose myself. I open my heart to her. And, and, and she could use some of those things. She could hurt me by just bringing them up. Because she knows that's a tender place in my life. But guess what? I trust her. I my heart safely trusts in her. Like it speaks in Proverbs 31, 10, and 11. Who can find a virtuous wife? Her worth is far above rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. That's something that to me is so important in marriage to be able to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what I've shared with her that is valuable to me is something she treasures too. And she would never use those things to hurt me. Marriage, that's what we do. We share with them things that nobody else knows. I wonder how many of you men in this room, and I'm obviously speaking to the fellas for a moment, I wonder how many of you men in this room have a little secret talent that only your wife knows about your little secret talent, the little thing that you think is pretty stinking cool, but nobody else knows that you can do that. And, and some, one day you finally said, I'm going to show her this secret talent, whatever it may be. Maybe you think you've got a cool dance move. I don't know. But some little talent that you have. And, and only she knows that about you. Only she knows. And, and why did you tell her about that? Why did you do that? Because you trust her. And here's something I'll disclose to you that I've said once before. It doesn't matter to anybody, but I'm just using it as an example. Um, you know, there was a time when I actually could sing. People don't know that and don't even believe it, but it's true. And Marie and I, when we were dating, I happened to start singing a song in the radio. I wasn't thinking about it. And she listened, and she said, hey, you can sing. Oh, man, when a woman tells you that, suddenly you're... Pavarotti, you know, you just, and from that day to now, 40-some years, I, I still sing to my wife. I still sing to her, because we wouldn't even use the radio. She would just say, sing this song, and I'd sing it to her. Can you sing this song? And I would sing it to her. And now nobody knows that I do that. I'll stand up here and say, oh, you know, I've got a lousy voice. In reality, I don't. And I could sing. I don't. I'd rather have better singers sing, obviously. And I can't anymore. I'm an old man with an old voice. But she still thinks, because she's got bad ears, she still thinks I sing. <laughs> still sound pretty good. But that's your secret talent. What is, what is, that's mine. What is yours? What is yours? The thing that you don't share with anybody else. The thing that nobody knows you can do. Now, some of yours may be silly. You may do silly things to make her laugh. Whatever it may be, it's between you two. That's your secret. That's you. We all have those things. We ha all have relationships, if you're married, over time, that become us. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is what we know. And that's how it works. You see, God wants us to be complete. Notice the first thing that is ever called not good is that man should be alone. 
And that to me is so significant. Everything up to this point, God has declared to be good. But now, he says, it's not good that man should be alone. God created us in such a way as to need another human being. As I mentioned a moment ago, there were angels. There's the world of animal. But that's not enough. Adam needed someone like himself. What's interesting when you think about it, God has already spoken to Adam. He's already spoken. Notice in verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God has already spoken. He's given him commands. He's already got fellowship. Communication between God and man is established. But man needs another human being to speak to, to relate to, and to have as an equal. He needs another human being to give his love to. He needs someone to share his feelings with, someone to be part of his life. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 11, two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can, can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And so verse 18 gives us two basic insights. One, you can have a relationship with the Lord, but you need others. We're created for fellowship with God, but we're also created for fellowship with other people. And marriage is intended to fulfill our need to love others and to be loved by someone else like us. Marriage is not created by men to dominate and injure women. It's also not created for women to dominate and rule over men. We're to love one another. But second, God intended marriage to bring joy and satisfaction to those who are married. Proverbs 18:22. He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So God intended marriage to bring joy and satisfaction to those who are married, and it is a good thing. And so as he says this, verse 19, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. You see, Adam was created first out of the earth, and later Eve was taken out of the man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 8 and 9, man is not from woman, woman is from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. And so, Adam had time to realize his aloneness as he was going about naming the animals. And it became very obvious there was nothing like him as he went about this. And so as this dawns on him or begins to dawn on him, verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in his place. The rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. So God caused a deep sleep, the Bible says, ensuring that he would experience no pain. He wouldn't feel any pain in marriage until he woke up. <laughs> that was an inspired thought. I want you to notice how it speaks that he made, he made, he made into a woman. The word made means to fashion. It speaks of building. He made her, he fashioned her. And notice the second thing, and he brought her. He brought her to Adam. She was not taken from the dirt, but from his side, which means that she does not govern nor usurp authority over him, nor is she a slave or simply a servant but is his companion and is treated with kindness, respect, and with love. She was not made out of his head to surpass him, nor from his feet to be trampled on, but from his side to be equal to him, near his heart to be dear to him. 
And notice how the Bible says to us that God brought Eve to Adam. That's basically where we got the tradition of the father walking the bride. God brought Eve. God presented Eve to Adam. And this established the holiness and the seriousness of marriage. In Proverbs 19, verse 14, the Bible says, Houses and riches are an inheritance from fathers. A wise wife is from the Lord. And as he sees this, notice verse 23. Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Um, as I was reading on this particular verse, one of the commentators that I was reading said that when you look at this in the original language, it's actually written as a musical score. And what you actually have here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, is a song. When God brought Eve to Adam, Adam broke out in song. That's what he's doing. He's singing. He is so blessed and so excited. How do you see a person's soul? Have you ever thought about that? How do you see a person's soul? We'll say a soul is invisible to the naked eye. You can see evidence of the soul in a variety of ways. And one of the ways that you can see evidence of a soul, especially a soul that worships, is when they're opening their mouth and singing. That's when we have what used to be called, it used to be called spirituals because the Holy Spirit inspired us to sing in response. It's also called worship. And what you love the most, you will sing about. I mean, there are so many things in our lives that we, that we sing about. That's one of the reasons why we have to be, as believers, aware of what we're listening to. Because what I listen to affects the way I think. And so I'm real careful with what I allow myself to hear because I don't want to allow myself to be moved in a direction that takes me away from the Lord. But I've discovered that if I fill my heart with those things that are pleasing to him, then my speech is going to reveal the abundance of that heart. And worship is one of the things that you do. That's why even in church services, that's why you come to worship the Lord, to receive his word after you worship. You empty yourself of your heart. You're preparing yourself to receive from his. And when he saw Eve, he sang. He sang. Wild thing, I think is what he's saying. No, he's, he's another 60s song that none of you know. Years ago, years ago, I was teaching this passage, and, and I, for some reason, I said, you know, what is the most beautiful love song that you've ever heard on the radio? And I let people think for a while, what is most, and I said, mine is Wild Thing. Nobody even knows what that song is. It's by the Trogs. Just a stupid song, Wild Thing. You make my heart sing. You make everything groovy. What a stupid song. But I, but I said that, and later on, somebody says, oh, no, no, that's not a beautiful, they, re they thought I was serious. I'm just <laughs> kidding. I wasn't serious. But what is filling your heart is what you sing about. It's true. What fills your heart provokes you to sing. And so when he saw Eve, I don't know what Eve looked like. We'll meet her someday. And as this man sees this woman, a woman made specifically for him, what did she look like? I don't know. Was she real light-skinned? Was she dark-skinned? Did she have blue eyes? Did she have brown eyes? Did she have green eyes? Did she have blonde hair, black hair, red hair? I, I suspect that she was about 5'4", had dark brown hair, brown eyes, dark complexion. She looked like Marie, I'm sure. <laughs> but what did she look like? All I know is when he saw her, his heart, man, I mean, think about that for a moment. His heart opened up, and he sang, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. She was taken out of man. Think about it. She was taken out of man. She shall be called woman.
He was naming, remember his job? He was naming the animals. He completed his job. She shall be called woman. The crown that God of his creation, he created man, he created woman. And she shall be called woman. Why? She was taken out of man. This was so beautiful to Adam that he broke out in his song. And then, then Moses adds in verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Leave and cleave. God has intended the husband to start a new life with this woman. And this woman that he's married to, he's her protector, her spiritual leader. My mom was a, a very good mother-in-law to Marie. And I have a great mother-in-law in Marie's, Marie's mama. She's a great one. I love my mother-in-law very much. My mom, when we first got married, felt that it was her responsibility to let me know about one of Marie's failings. I know nobody in this place has ever had a mother-in-law involve themselves in your marriage. I know that's never happened. It just happened to me. It happened to be my mom. And I still remember my mom speaking to me and saying something to the effect, you know, David, Marie, and she started to say something about my wife. And I still remember I was a young man. But I still remember going like this, putting my hand up to my mom, respectfully, because she's my mom. But I said, Mama, wait a minute. I said, this is my wife. You don't speak to me about my wife. You don't have that responsibility. What goes on between her and me remains with her and me. You have no place in my marriage. Because you see, my mom raised me to a certain point, but now I leave my father and my mother, and I cleave to my wife. And sometimes some of you have gone through this meddling in-law thing. And some sons are just not strong enough to tell their mom but I was one of those sons who believed what God's word said. God said, I'm to leave and cleave. It didn't say that my mom was supposed to lead my home. It said, I'm supposed to. And so I took that seriously as a young man, and I've been that way all through our marriage. I know who I'm supposed to be, and I'm going to be that man. Mama, you can love my wife, but you let me deal with any problems we have. Unless I ask for your opinion or your direction, I don't want you to interfere. Why? Because a man is to leave and he's to cleave. And when it speaks of cleaving, it's a word that could be used speaking of uh, an adhesive, a glue. It's like if you have two sheets of plywood, thin sheets, and you put an adhesive, and then you press it out, and you hold it until it becomes just the one. And that's what it is, is the two have now been adhered by the Spirit of God, through the covenant of marriage. And that's why you don't put it asunder, because if you put something in between and start prying that plywood apart, it splinters on the inside. And so marriage was not intended to be splintered. A man is to leave, and a man is to cleave. He's to be joined, cemented to his wife, and they become the one flesh. So when you speak of, of the Rosaleses, the Rosaleses, that's Marie and David. That's us. That's who we are. That's us. And, and whatever your last name may be if you're married, that's you. You've left and you're cleaving together. And that is what you're supposed to be. Let no man put that asunder. Let no one tear it apart. Let no one destroy that. Because God is the one who joined you. So again, when Marie and I got married, the word divorce has never been part of our vocabulary. She's never told me, I'll divorce you. She has said, I'll kill you, but she's never said, I'll divorce you. That's an old one, but I'll throw it out every once in a while. We're one. Marriage is intended to be permanent, and divorce splinters what God joined together, and God says, I hate divorce. 
Thomas Adams once said, as God by creation made two of one, so again, by marriage, he made one of two. And according to verse 25, they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Obviously, this isn't speaking just of their physical nakedness. It speaks of much more. They were innocent and naked emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And shame entered into the world because of sin. But shame didn't exist before the fall. They were two perfect people in a perfect marriage. They were naked. They were open. They were vulnerable. They communicated. Some of you have gone through a lot of pain. Some of you have gone through relationships that hurt you. You were injured. You, you loved someone, and that person broke your trust and, and broke your heart. And as you grew older, you began to think, I, I can't trust. I, I, I don't know. And, and then you meet somebody, and when you meet this person, you like them. You like them a lot. You like to talk to them. You like to spend time with them. You find that they have a, a silly sense of humor. They think that you're talented, and, and they admire you. You see, I, I, forgive me for being too personal, but in my relationship with Marie, when I, when I met her, I didn't trust anybody. I wouldn't trust anybody. I just didn't. My mom told me I was that way from the time I was a baby. She said, you know, when you were an infant, you would go with no one. The only person she said you'll ever, you ever allowed to hold you was, my mom would say, was, was her. And that, there's truth to that. I was one of these kids that didn't trust anybody. And I was that loner, just like many of you in this room. I was that one who ate lunch by himself very often because I didn't trust anybody, didn't want to be around other people. I, I was pretty much by myself all the time. And when I developed relationships, they would be passionate relationships because I was pouring myself into somebody and then, then you get injured. You can't, you can't do that. I didn't know that. I just, oh, I, you know, I would just pour myself into a relationship and then I get tired of it. And, and I went through that for all my teen years. And now I'm a, a young man. I got saved and, and I'm teaching a Bible study and a young woman walks into the, the Bible study and I, I meet her and her name's Marie and I think she's nice. And I ask her out. And we start going out, and I start sensing that there's something about her that I'm very attracted to, and, and I finally get to the point where I'm saying, and maybe some of you under, understand what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to share. Maybe some of you had the same thing. And I get to that point where I know that what I feel is more than friendship, and that made me scared. Because for me, when you say I love you, you're given power to somebody to hurt you. That's how I was. If I say I love you, you can use that against me. If I say I trust you, you can use that against me. And a lot of people in this room understand what I mean. I know you do. I loved you. I told you my secrets. And you turned on me and broke my heart. And I had that happen more than once. And so now I've got this young woman that I'm feeling things for and sensing things about. And I don't know what to do with those feelings. And so I still remember the first time I told her I loved her. I still remember how I went about it. I didn't know how to do it any other way. Forgive me, it seems melodramatic, but it's true. That's just the way I am. And I remember having my hands like this in front of me. I put my palms like up and pressed my hands together. And I went like this. And I said, Marie? And I went like this. I said, and I put my hand on my chest, and I said, I'm giving you my heart. But I said, please, be careful with it. It's fragile, and it breaks easily. Please, don't break my heart. I don't know if any of you 
are as ridiculously melodramatic as I. <laughs> but some of you know the emotion that I'm sharing. Maybe you didn't do this. Maybe you just felt it. That stepping over into the unknown, how is she going to respond? Because to me, love is everything. It's everything. And I'm giving you everything. I didn't have anything to give at all except me. And I'm just not enough. I'm just not enough. But what I have, I give to you. I give you my heart. It breaks easily. Please don't break it. His heart to safely trust in her, for she's a virtuous woman. And my wife has protected my heart for all of these years because she can be trusted. Her value is greater than any material object because as long as you have her, you have all you need. I don't need a nice home, though I'm grateful to have a home. I don't need a nice car, though I'm grateful to have a car I can drive. I don't need a lot of fancy food, though I'm thankful on occasion I get somebody else to cook for me. <laughs> Think about that one for a moment. <laughs> no, my wife's a good cook. I don't need all those things. What I need is her. And with her, the two became one. That's marriage. That's why you don't just decide to give it a shot. That's why these shows they have, Married at First Sight or whatever they call it now, let's see, is trivializing a sacred covenant established by God intended for, for, the, for man and woman to have joy to produce godly offspring. And that's why Christians don't take marriage lightly. We take it seriously because that's how God intends to reach the world, through godly people who have godly marriages. So that when you have people saying, why should I stay married? You Christians don't even stay married as, as long as atheists. Did you know that Christian evangelical Christians' divorce rate is higher than atheists? Did you know that? Oh, God is gracious, God forgives, and we just go into it and we get out of it. Now, it is a sacred covenant, oaths being made to God and before man, that whatever God has joined together not be put asunder because he has made the two into the one. Christian marriage. May God help us to understand what that is. If you'd like to learn more about Pastor David or Calvary Chapel, Chino Valley, please visit our website at calvaryccv.org. Thanks for listening and have a great day.